Marginalized groups exist in every community. Their stories often get swept under the rug, forgotten, or minimalized. By sharing these stories, we hope to cultivate compassion and equip the local church to better care for all people. This is Life Stories. Today's episode discusses the issue of human trafficking. Some content may be too mature for some listeners. On this episode of Life Stories, we are going to talk with Life Task Force Leader, Allie Hale. Welcome, Allie. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, of course. Can you just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Allie Hale, and I am a licensed professional counseling associate, um, which means I'm getting my hours towards full licensure, but I still get to counsel. And um, that's what I do full time is counseling work and clinical work. And I really enjoy my job and what I do and um, listening to people and helping people in that way. Mm-hmm. Are you working towards a specific like area of counseling? Is that Yeah, um, I'm actually working on specializing in trauma. So trauma Mm -hmm. and grief are the two areas that I enjoy the most. But I also work with addiction as well. And that is another area that I love. And really all three of those go hand in hand together. But um, certainly I see anything just in like general anxiety, anything like that. And what branch of the life task force are you in charge of? So I lead the trafficking survivor advocates um, at church here at Church of the Cross. And I've, um, we are the newest branch of the Life Task Force, and we came on last fall. And it's been a real just um, enjoyable thing to get to work with our team, Amanda. Um, she does a great job of leading us, and um, I'm enjoying getting to see and meet people in our church, some of them for the first time, who are interested in working with um, anti-human trafficking efforts and leading survivors and working with survivors and in other efforts as well. And I'm, uh, it's been really exciting just to get to hear um, where people are coming from and whether they've had experience before or some have um, been just brand new and they're just excited to learn and they have the heart to help. It's pretty unusual that somebody would say, I think you said the phrase like, um, Trauma and grief are what I love, mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines. And that's not really a typical thing that you hear out of somebody's <laughs> mouth. So what what drives you to enter into those places? Because those are not easy places. Those are really hard. Yeah. Um, thank you for asking that question. And that's one I have gotten a couple times before. Like, that's interesting. They say the same thing. Like, why would you want to do that? Um, a lot of that is just personally healing in my own life. I never really knew how to deal with grief growing up. Um, And I had some things I needed to work out that came through my life and came into my adult years that I realized I it's it goes back to grief and it goes back to trauma. And so having that own healing and those who have stepped into my life, um, professionals, friends, those who walked me through um, being a new Christian, um, those were all wonderful things that um, the Lord just brought into my life. And it just put that on my heart. And I know that not everybody who goes through that will have that same um, pressing to give back in that way. But that's just how I felt like I wanted to continue on in my own career and helping people daily be able to walk through those things because there is a heaviness. And I think it's also um, just something that the Lord put in me that I was able to just sit and listen. It doesn't mean I say that it doesn't mean that it's easy. (laughs) There are really hard things that I hear, but it's a blessing to get to be um, serving others in that way. And I just thank the Lord for the people who did that for me, too. 
Yeah. There is just kind of this ministry of just sitting, Mm -hmm. right? And just being present with people. It sounds like that you had people that entered into your dark places and helped you walk through that. Can you talk a little bit more about like the role of community in a person's healing? Yeah, that's, I love that you said that ministry of presence. I think that's a beautiful phrase and and just the ministry of sitting with somebody because that's not something that I think we think about. We are a very fast paced culture and it's hard to, I catch myself finding it hard sometimes to slow down. Um, It's easy to just do and go, but when we do that, we don't, we miss out on community and we're always going on to the next task. And I think community um, can just be so valuable when we realize, well, we are built for relationships. I believe we are, and we need each other. Even the most introverted of us, um, such as myself, <laughs> we need other people. And we are all we are all made differently in that way, but we all still need another person, our people in our lives. And I think when we have that human connection, um, we realize there's. Um, there's just something to that of someone else is talking with me. Someone else is interacting with me. Someone else is here with me. They're laughing with me. They're crying with me. Um, they're having fun with me. Um, they're cooking with me, whatever that might be. Sometimes I think it's things we take for granted too. And when we have that community, when we have those deeper connections that are not just on the surface, that's when I think things can open up for us to be part of that healing. It's It may start with, hey, let's just have fun and have a meal together. But then that may turn into, hey, we can go a little deeper. We relate on certain things. Mm -hmm. And when we take that time, like you said, to sit and listen and be present, um, we're not thinking ahead of what's the next thing I got to do, but we're really taking that time to listen well to one another. That can be such a huge part of our healing. And I think it's a gift that we as people, and especially in our Western culture here, take for granted sometimes. How did your journey through emotional healing and kind of this, it sounds like you had kind of a turn towards, you know, God really softened your heart to people who were going through grief and trauma and and even dealing with addiction. Mm -hmm. How did your own personal journey through healing inform or, or change or shape the calling to work with trafficking victims? Yes, that... That learning to heal, well, and I'll say it's learning, um, present progressive tense here, because it's still an ongoing journey. And I know that as a believer, I believe that won't fully ever be healed on this earth as I'm still learning how to walk through emotions. Um, But I've learned to open up my heart more. And I think seeing people, um, when I learned how to work through my own emotions better, I'm able to see other people differently. And that's been a huge shift for me um, in the last decade or so, even in, even in the last couple of years, it's still changing. And I think towards a more positive direction of um, realizing that if I have empathy and I've worked through my own emotions, I see other, I see other people's hurt so differently. It's, I don't see people as, I don't see you as an addict. I don't see you as um, someone who's been trafficked necessarily. I mean, there is a piece of that, but there's also, I see you as someone else just like me who's broken. And I love um, one of the greatest things I feel like I've just been introduced to just from some wise people, some wise Bible teachers over the years and uh, has been the idea and the theology of how we're made. We are made in God's image and learning that really what that means in Genesis. I don't fully feel like I understand that to the greatest it could be, but 
understanding that we are all image bearers and we are all created in God's image and we're all broken. We're all in need of a savior. And when we work through our own emotions and get to that place, especially as a Christian, I can see that. I'm like, you don't see someone who's angry. You see someone, okay, what's beneath that anger? You don't see someone who's trafficked or addicted and you see, okay, what's going on beneath that? There's more to that story. And that's just something that's been a draw for me as I've realized, okay, there's um, a lot of brokenness in our world and it's not an easy, there's no really fixing it per se, but we can be part of a solution and we can be people who go out and who go choose, choose, make that choice to go a little bit deeper with one another. Yeah. What got you started in working with survivors and victims of human trafficking? That journey actually goes back to the late 2000s, I can't pinpoint the year. It's been um, a little over 10 years since I've been in college. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Uh, yes, I'm with you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so it was when I was in school, I was actually taking a class. And one of the, it wasn't exactly a textbook, but it was um, a book assignment we had to read called Half the Sky. And it was written by journalist Nicholas Kristoff and his wife and um, it was about oppression of women and human trafficking. And I had never heard the term human trafficking before. And I was like, this is kind of an odd assignment, but okay. <laughs> and um, I went and read the book and it was actually, I got so ingrained in it and my roommates were interested in it too. So they actually all read my, uh, my assignment. <laughs> and so all of us, the three of us sat around and talked about it together, even though they had nothing to do with that class. But we had never heard of human trafficking before. And so that was something that was very new. This book had a lot of context around the world, but it did talk about it was happening in the United States. And so that just kind of was the first spark. As a college student, you get excited about something and you move on to the next thing. But God also has other plans. And so several years later, um, at that time I was living in Chicago and then I ended up moving overseas and circled back to Texas where I'm originally from. So I came back and actually really came back to go to graduate school. And that's where the counseling started. Um, I was a teacher before and I, I loved it, but I realized I loved listening to my students better than I love teaching them grammar <laughs> and verbs and tenses. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's um, when I had a student come up and say, I miss my mom today, teacher. And I'm like, let's talk about that. I want to just listen. And so coming back here was a big change for me after several years, but I pretty quickly met a dear friend of mine uh, named Trudy Gummelt, and she was involved with an organization, a local organization that worked with um, human trafficking called We Are Cherished. And she told me about this support group for women who had been trafficked. And I'm like, oh, I remember it kind of brought that spark back again. I'm like, the book. <laughs> and um, just remembering, oh yeah, I remember learning about that in college. And um, so she just shared her involvement and they were a pretty new thing, but I, it just was really eye-opening. Like, okay, this is like the suburbs of Dallas, Fort Worth, like <laughs> trafficking. And I'm just trying to put, you know, one plus one equals two. <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense. And so um, she told me about this group and I was actually a, probably a year and a half later that I actually ended up getting involved and in going to the support group and seeing what it was about. It was interesting just to be in a group of people talking about their experiences working in the sex industry. And that was just something, even putting it into words, was almost surreal. Just realizing this is right here in my backyard and I'm in this group and uh, this is actually happening. And this is what people are 
involved in or have come from. And it ended up being in the group for a year and a half. And it was just, I'm trying to think of words. It was a lot of different things, but it was a blessing. It was sweet, but it was hard. And um, just seeing the brokenness and seeing what goes on even through that, not only did I get involved in the support group, but I actually joined some really amazing women on going into strip clubs and talking about the support group and offering support and offering something. We, we would always have something tangible to give to them and tell them, you know, if you need some help, you can go to a support group. If you, we have some place for you just to talk, you don't have to commit to anything. And just offering that, we would get a lot of questions and uh, a lot of stories and just even that connection of offering a gift and giving someone something, someone saying thank you. And and they offered things like gas cards and just ways to get the women to be, yeah, this is for you. You can come. It was hard in that environment sometimes just seeing the brokenness that was there, but getting to be a part of just reaching out to some, reaching out to these women was just a, a life-changing experience for me you brought something to them and the gas cards make sense mm -hmm. because it helps them get there. Uh, what other things did you bring them? We brought things like nail polish, just something small, sweet lip gloss, um, things that are tangible, really just to say, here's a gift for you. You're seen. Um, we care about you and we just want you to have something, you know, even if you don't take you know, the offer of the group, we just want you to know that you're seen, you're valuable, and that you have worth. And my favorite thing we brought was Christmas when we would do fuzzy socks. And every one of those women just loved the fuzzy socks. And the idea of receiving something like that, something cute, fun, warm, holiday themed, that was just something that they could have. Mm -hmm. And that was theirs. And then they got to keep that too. Yeah. Did you see any hesitance from them in accepting the gifts ever? At times um not so much with the socks actually that was the most received thing that we gave but um sometimes it was kind of the suspicion i could sense of what strings are attached here or what is it you want from me why would you give me this and that was a response we got a lot was why are you giving me this the idea of something being truly free i could sense that was based on their questions and responses that was not something that was for a normal for them yeah that's something that i've heard too is just within the sex industry, especially, there's no such thing as like a free gift, mm -hmm. you know, everything has strings attached. Yes. And so even that small thing, and it's those small things that I think we don't realize the impact that they can have. But for somebody in that industry to receive that gift, I'm sure spoke volumes. Mm -hmm. Let's define human trafficking. For someone who may not know what it is or even really fully understand that it exists and that it exists right here in our own backyard like you were saying yes um human trafficking can it's a broad term that can take a couple of different forms the basic definition is human trafficking can be defined as anything someone is brought into by coercion and through manipulation and, and someone through being exploited in some way and it can look in the form of labor. It can look in the form of sex. Essentially, labor trafficking could look like you're being forced to work long hours without any pay or even being forced to have debt. Not only do you not get a paycheck, but you owe someone. So really, you're never able to get out of it. And there's also sex trafficking. And that can be being really exchange of sex and money. And But that can take a, several different forms. And so even 
that term gets broken down, but specifically for sex trafficking can look like someone being brought into a group and usually it's done in a way that's subtle. Um, I think that's one of the things that can be hard to wrap our minds around, but it's not necessarily like the things you see in Hollywood. It can happen. I don't want to say that it doesn't ever happen, that there's kidnappings. Absolutely, that does happen. But a lot of the times it does look like somebody knowing somebody or someone on the streets and there's vulnerability or there's desperation, not needing, not having money and food and basic needs. And so finding a place to belong, finding a place to earn those things. And a lot of times it's in these groups called trafficking rings. People will come in and it may look good at first. There will be gifts. There will be, oh yeah, we can help you out. And this idea of we're going to be your friend. But really it's once you get that little taste, all of a sudden there's a turn. And once that turn happens, it's go from, this is really great, but now I'm confused. But those in control will tell you otherwise. No, like I'm really your friend. And then this whole cycle of manipulation and gaslighting and trauma starts. And then it becomes hard to leave. Um, There's threats, there's violence, there's punishment. You don't make enough money in the club. If you don't make enough money prostituting yourself, then there can be punishment for that. And that happens here in DFW very often, actually. In different forms, it can look like stripping. It can look like prostitution. Um, It may be a lot of times now with technology advancements, it's online. There's online pornography, um, online sex, and online soliciting of minors and forced pornography. And a lot of times um, when we think about pornography, we may think this is consensual, but a lot of times it's not, especially if it is a minor. And that happens more frequently nowadays, especially even since the um, pandemic when things are going online. That's what they've been seeing in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is there's a lot more online trafficking than there was before, and it's harder to find it. What are some of those things that that cause an individual to be vulnerable to these trafficking rings or traffickers that might be looking for somebody to bring in? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And that kind of weighs on me, honestly. And this one I think personally on a lot is vulnerability factors that people have. And a lot of times that looks like running away, um, vulnerable youth. And that may mean they come from a a negative home influence. There may be violence in the home. It may be divorce in the home, maybe drug use in the home. A lot of times that comes from the foster care system. That's actually more common. The coming out of the foster care system is a common risk for um, youth. Just the idea of rejection is a lot of what it comes down to. And a lot of times that can look like meeting someone online and then you become a friend, especially with social media accounts like TikTok and Facebook and not as Facebook as much, but Instagram and Snapchat. Um, there's a couple of new ones that have come out, I think even in the last couple of months that I'm learning about that um, they're fun. They're good, fun things for kids to do in a, in a child's mind or a teenager's mind. But when you've got these open accounts um, and that you don't have any way to filter out who's seeing your profile, if you don't have the security settings on there or the parental controls on there, it's easy for anyone on the other end to disguise themselves. And you may be thinking you're talking to some cute 15-year-old boy and I'm 13 and he's really cute and he likes me. But then that may not be a cute 15-year-old boy on the other end. That's a lot of what's been happening lately is just the online trafficking And so it's not this big dramatic kidnapping, but it's subtle. And a lot of times what happens is when that trust gets to that point where they want to meet up, 
And it doesn't even at that point maybe be a kidnapping or something, but it may be um, just this friend I'm hanging out with. And then the subtle, well, can you show me pictures of yourself? And a lot of times these kids don't even know that these pictures that they're sending are being shown around the world. Like what's on the internet stays on the internet. Most of us don't think of it that way. Like, especially in a teenager's mind, they're not going to think of it that way. I feel like I hear a lot too and have seen just in the media this idea that women who are in prostitution have a right to be there or want to Mm -hmm. be there or if they want to use their bodies to make money, then that's fine. Do you feel like there's any truth to that? When I think about pornography, we've kind of gone from the days of buying magazines in secret to it's just accessible anywhere and it's normalized. And it's not to say that there are not those who do consent, but a lot of times it's they may it may be perceived as this person really is consenting. That's something that our culture just accepts now, but a lot of that isn't consensual. And there have actually recently been some women who have been able to get out of that and speak out about it and saying that I was raped on camera. This wasn't consensual. I think it's one of those things that we don't want to think about it because it's like this is something that our culture normalizes, but we don't want to think that there's these women who are not able to really get out of that. Another myth is that why can't they just leave? Um, We think that if they're being trafficked or being abused, why don't they go? And there's a lot of reasons for that. And one of the the main reasons is they don't know they're being trafficked. A lot of times when there's um, trafficking busts and there's ring busts by law enforcement and they do interviews, if you ask these women, so are you a trafficking victim? They look at you and say, what? what's that? I don't, you know, that's not something. So they don't even have that language um, in their vocabulary to realize they're even being trapped there. There's not even that awareness of I can leave because there's constant threat. And then with that comes the gifts and then the threat and then the abuse. So it's a cycle and that's what they are thinking. This is what love and friendship looks like. Um, So when we look at even in the porn industry, it's not always easy for someone to just walk away And then you add other vulnerabilities, such as some people may be doing it because this is how they get money. And there's a desperation that traffickers and abusers will prey off of Mm -hmm. easily. Um, And a lot of times it can be single moms and they're desperate. They don't have money to buy diapers or food for their children. And so this is what they have to do. It can look so subtle in our everyday world that we may be able to actually walk past someone on the street that we don't even know they may have the freedom to go out. They can be amongst our lives. And actually that was one of um, the things that I found out when I was working at a local college was that several of them, after building a trusting relationship with me, were able to talk about that, that that's how they were paying for school. What are the things that through the Life Task Force that you are doing or hope to be doing in this area? Um, I love that question because that's um, my what I keep continually praying about daily in how, how our church is going to get involved. And it's exciting to dream um, and exciting to plan and exciting to work with other people on that, too. And I love that um, it's not all up to me. And it's so fun to hear other people's perspectives on things. And as we've been dreaming together, one of the well, I'll start with the things we've already done. One, um, this makes me so excited to talk about it, but um, we actually were able to put together what we call like survivor bags. Um, So when survivors sometimes come in with nothing, we are able to provide these bags that have things like 
a stuffed animal, a journal, a clothing gift card to like Target or Walmart. Um, and our church provided 31 of these bags for survivors to a non, to a local nonprofit um, for their first time coming into restoration. And some of those gifts have, or some of those bags have already been passed out. I love that everyone who did one of those bags wrote a note, um, even though they had no idea who was actually going to receive it. And every one of those that's been received so far has been received with, wow, this is exactly what I needed to have written to me or I needed to hear. These gifts are wonderful. Um, I've never had a gift card before um, or I've never had this kind of stuffed animal. I get to keep this. And um, there's just been a lot of um, a lot of sweetness in being able to see it's a blessing that our church has stepped in and we asked for 10 bags and we got 31. <laughs> that's amazing to me. And that is still something I celebrate. And that was um, last fall. And that's something I hope our church will continue to do. But we also hope to be a place that survivors can feel like they can come. And that can hopefully be in the context of a support group or mentoring. One of the goals we hope to have is having trauma-informed care in our church to be a trauma-informed church. And when we have that, we know how to welcome in people who kind of coming out of trafficking for the first time, and they may not have the nice things that we have, or they may not have the clothes that we have, or whatever it looks like. We want to be able to just treat them like they're one of us. There doesn't have to be this stark difference. There doesn't have to be this shock and awe or like, oh, I must be able to help that person. Again, going back to the rescue thought, but we can be a church that knows how to invite people in and knows how to welcome people who also maybe know how to handle any pushback that's given too. And it's not always going to be easy, but we hope to be a church that provides that kind of support for our church and a lot of churches that may be a newer thing. And even maybe down to the hope of, you know, we can walk alongside of those who may be still struggling with addiction. Addiction is very common in human trafficking. And I hope that we would also be um, able to do some outreach in our community, whatever that may look like. Maybe it will look like going into those strip clubs and maybe it will look like going into the harder neighborhoods that maybe we could walk alongside of law enforcement somehow. And so those are all, I love the part of dreaming because it's like our options don't have to be limited. <laughs> and as we dream and as we think, you know, we ask the Lord, what does he have for us? And we hope to be able to work with nonprofits and um, what others are doing and to be the church piece of that because it is teamwork. Um, you do need law enforcement, you do need nonprofit work, and you need the church. And um, we can be those people to be a safe place and to be a healing place of redemption for those who have been deeply wounded. And they may not have that emotional, spiritual, and physical support, but if we walk alongside of somebody, that's what we can do as a church. Allie, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us and share your heart for uh, those who are in human trafficking and who are healing from that trauma. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today. Life Stories is a production of the Life Task Force at Church at the Cross. For more information, go to churchatthecross.com.